0: Hi and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Neurology. My name is Priya and today we're discussing a review of insomnia, parasomnias and narcolepsy in children. We're joined by the lead author, Dr. Kieran Muskie. Welcome. Thank you. So first, Dr. Muskie, please tell us about your paper. Why is it so important to correctly diagnose children's sleep disorders?
1: Our paper is a review of the three major sleep disorders, insomnia, parasomnias, and narcolepsy that we think are really important for any neurologist treating children should know. There's over 80 sleep disorders, and so it's not possible to review all of them in detail. So we picked these three because they're the conditions that we think neurologists will most commonly experience and encounter, have to manage. In describing each of the disorders, we highlighted the neurologic etiologies of the condition, as well as the associated daytime cognitive and behavior problems that may be associated with it. I think it's really important to correctly diagnose children with sleep disorders because of a number of issues. Many of the problems that sleep causes can be linked to daytime behaviors, namely attention, executive functioning problems, mood, externalizing behaviors such as hyperactivity or impulsivity, even aggression. So sleep deprivation also can cause problems with increased headaches and even increased seizure activity. So correctly identifying the correct cause of the sleep problems and treating it is very important. And then there's also the potential for misdiagnosis in cases of narcolepsy and parasomnias. Parasomnia sometimes overlap with the semiology of nocturnal seizures and can sometimes result in inappropriate treatments. And in the case of narcolepsy, there's a huge clinical problem of delayed diagnosis. So the median time to diagnosis from symptom onset is 10 and a half years, which is just crazy um, given that it's a treatable neurologic disease.
0: Is the diagnosis of sleep disorders in children a lot more challenging than it is in adults? And if so,
1: why? I think it is challenging. I think identifying sleep problems and treating them appropriately is challenging in children for a number of reasons. For one, obtaining the correct history is sometimes really challenging, especially in children. It's not uncommon that parents come in and have concerns that their child children just simply don't sleep or sleep too much. To make a correct diagnosis, you need a lot of the detail. I find that using sleep logs, for instance, can be really helpful for identifying patterns that can help diagnose what's the problem and, and what are the, the source of the problem. I think also the data has to be really detailed and nuanced, and that's sometimes lacking because obviously the parents are asleep themselves. So to that end, I find things like video recordings from baby monitors or cell phones to be very helpful to identify concerning movements that the parents have identified or concerning behaviors that occur during the night. In the case of narcolepsy, there's actually a more distinct phenotype with pediatric narcolepsy compared to uh, adult presentations. So for one, the cataplexy with narcolepsy type 1 can be not just triggered by emotion, but almost like a static cataplexy that causes the child to look almost hypotonic, even sometimes ataxic. The sleepiness can oftentimes manifest as hyperactivity or emotional ability or even oppositional behaviors. So it's not uncommon to see this misdiagnosed as ADHD or primary mood disorders. And then last, the range of comorbidity that occurs with pediatric narcolepsy is quite striking, and includes um, obesity, precocious puberty, mood disorders, even obsessive compulsive disorders, and, and more recently reported presentations of schizophrenia.
0: What about treatment? Is this substantially different
1: in children and adults? I think the basis of treating sleep disorders, especially insomnia, is always rooted in behavioral management. And to that end, um, you know, oftentimes there's environment and family. Issues that are playing into a part of a causal role specifically for insomnia, so things like noise, light exposure, media access, cigarette smoke, all of these can disrupt the sleep quality and and subsequent duration of sleep in children. You know, parents oftentimes have their own poor sleep habits that rub off on the children So oftentimes, in these cases, we're we're treating the whole family. In the cases of narcolepsy, it's really critical to work with schools to provide an appropriate environment and accommodations for them to manage their daytime sleepiness. So, for instance, being able to provide them a nap during the day or take a stimulant midday if they need it, take frequent movement breaks or have a flexible schedule so they have more activity in the afternoon and more concentrated classes in the morning is is really critical.
0: What would you say are the most important unanswered questions in the field?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think in general there's a lack of... Neurology presence, specifically child neurology in the field of medicine, and and it's it's too bad because there's so much research potential. I view sleep as a neurologic process, and the etiology of the sleep disorders are oftentimes neurologically based. The mechanisms that underlie the associations between sleep and neurobehavior function and cognition are particularly under sort of researched and I think is just a great emerging area for future research. I think there's also a lot of unanswered questions about the etiology of sleep disorders, including parasomnia, that are ripe for a young neurologist to explore.
0: And can you describe the difficulties in studying these sleep disorders in children?
1: Yeah, I think that one of the biggest difficulties is the use of polysomnography for for obtaining sleep architecture, or studying sleep behaviors during that occur during the night, it's oftentimes costly and difficult for children to tolerate. But we did a recent study looking at children with autism and used home polysomnograms, which with an appropriate desensitization protocol, they were actually able to tolerate. I think also understanding the real mechanisms and the ideology of these sleep problems requires more invasive types of tests or at least neuroimaging. And that obviously could be difficult difficult to get a child to sleep in a scanner for an extended period of time.
0: Thank you, Dr. Maskey, and thank you, listeners. See you again next time.